0: Now let's listen to a great program.
1: First of all, thank you guys for coming today. Um, I was planning to be at this breakfast, but I was gonna listen to a different speaker, my boss, Mary Wilson. (laughs) But unfortunately she came down with COVID, so uh, I get to be with you here today. And I'll just have to tell you that working with Cindy um, has been a true gift. And not only is she a gift to your Magnificat, she's a gift to the whole Magnificat. I think she keeps us all in order. So thank you, Cindy. All right, well, I'd like to start off with a passage that really has touched my heart. It's Jeremiah 31, 1. And it says, at that time, says the Lord, I will be the God of all families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, The people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, they appeared to him from afar. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. I share this verse with you because it really shows God's love for the church families and me and throughout my my entire life God has loved me with an everlasting love and has always been faithful to me even when I tried to keep him afar. My relationship with God began at a very young age. I was blessed to be born into a wonderful loving family. My, My parents were both Catholic and God was central in their life. And after they were married, they started their family with three children, and then they were drawn to move out in the country, and they bought 72 acres and a 100-year-old house in the middle of nowhere. um, My father couldn't get work out. It was way out in St. Helena Parish, so he ended up working offshore, and he would be away two weeks out of the month. So my mother then was left to take care of the family. I was born in March of 1967 only two weeks after the famous Duquesne weekend which was when a group of college students on on retreat experienced a new outpouring of the Holy Spirit. See at that time the church was experiencing great changes. The Second Vatican Council had taken place in 1962 and many people were left with confused and misdirected. Up until this point Catholics had been catechized by religious orders. But after the confusion of Vatican II, however, many of the orders suffered great losses in their numbers. Because because of this, there was not much catechesis happening. So to give you an idea, the last doctrinal thing that I remember was I was taught the Ten Commandments in the third grade. Now, I went to a Catholic school. So after that, everything was all about just love and being great, a great person. But doctrinally, I didn't get any meat. And I think that this was a real crisis in my generation. We stopped having benediction, we stopped yeah. Eucharistic adorations, and, and a lot of the parents thought that their kids were getting catechized because they were catechized by the sisters. So this void was undetected. It was like nobody knew that we weren't, that that formation wasn't happening. Um, Fortunately, my parents took us to church every Sunday, and when I was probably about five years old, the parish priest told my mother that he was inviting sisters from New Orleans, the Sisters of Christian Charity, to come and teach catechism for the summer. The sisters needed a place to stay, and the priest wondered if they could stay with my mom and then they could take us to catechism. So my parents said yes. I can remember my mom and dad, they moved out of their bedroom and slept on a sofa bed for the summer. And we had bunk beds put up for the sisters, and every summer the sisters would come out, and that was our catechesis, which was a huge blessing. My siblings and I loved to grow the, grew to love the sisters, and they became a part of our family. And following the summer of 1972, the sisters told my parents that they had heard about a charismatic prayer meeting at St. Edward the Confessor and wanted mom and dad to join them. Mom and dad went with the sisters that night and they came home, changed people. They had experienced the charismatic renewal and had experienced Jesus personally, probably for the first time in their life. The next five years, were spent with us all traveling to New Orleans regularly in order to attend prayer meetings. I grew up falling asleep on the pews of churches and listening to praise and worship music and attending many charismatic masses. I had my little Bible praying in tongues in the second grade. I truly felt the love of God in my life and nothing would take that away from me. But eventually the renewal spread and there were prayer meetings in our home parish. And we always had unexpected guests who would show up at our house. My father created uh, life-size Stations of the Cross. It went along a long way. It was a mile path back to the river. So he put up these crosses and we had beautiful uh, pictures made. And so prayer groups would just come over to make the Stations of the Cross. So I can vividly remember one day coming home from church, and there was a school bus in our yard. <laughs> and I said, Mom, who are these people? And she, I said, what are we gonna feed them for lunch? And she said, I don't know, we're gonna add some more water, pray. <laughs> so this was about how I grew up. <laughs> um, we had a priest from New Orleans who was diagnosed with cancer, and he had permission from the bishop to move a house onto the property. So we built a, cha- a chapel in the house, and we had the blessed sacrament. Um, And then we had a young woman who was discerning to become a sister who moved in with us, who played music. So we had mass in the house every day and we would have prayer meetings. So when I say blessed, um, it was very special for us. And this time, this happened in my life at the most formative time. And really, I think, thank God every day for that gift and the gift of my faith. As time passed on, though, people began to move and their lives changed. Father returned to his parish because his cancer was under control. And the woman who lived with us, she became one of Mother Angelica's sisters. And uh, my mother had to go back to work. She was a nurse, so we, we all, um, the life wasn't as spiritual as it once was, but we still had a lot of interesting guests. Um, my father felt called to the diaconate and so they were doing all of that preparation. And uh, we were just growing up like a normal family, supposedly. But the town that we lived in was very small. And being, I was in seventh grade when my father was ordained a deacon. And I can just tell you that um, that was probably another, a very difficult time in my life. Because it was almost like I was persecuted. I can remember everything was I can't believe the deacon's daughter did this. I can't believe the deacon. And they they would even genuflect in front of me and ask me to bless them. So I can remember going home to my sister, and I said, they want me to bless them. And she goes, well, bless them. It's like, it's like, oh. So I, I was feeling very withdrawn, and it was my mother who made me get involved in youth group, which I can say youth group probably kept me going and again was another instrument that God worked in my life. Um, Mother Angelica came to our house when I was 13 and uh, filmed the deacon and his family. We still have that one but I am uh, promised never to show it in public. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, some, I still was very skeptical about the faith though because there were so many times that I saw people who were praising God, who were at the prayer meetings, but then when I saw their life, it wasn't reflecting God. And I was like, well then, if if you found God, how could it be real if you're gonna act like that? And so I really was struggling, and I can remember, I remember going to God and saying, are you real? And and I thought, well, my mom says you're real, so I'm just gonna go with that right now, but you're gonna have to prove it to me later. Um, So I was babysitting a lot. And my dad would periodically take us to meet this person or that person. And there was a man that uh, lived in Lockport, Louisiana, that supposedly was uh, having visions of the Blessed Mother. And so he took me to see him, and I said, okay, I'm going to give this a test. <laughs> now, remember, I'm, I'm like in the eighth grade, so. Uh, and so I told him that I was babysitting these kids and I love these kids so much and they weren't baptized and I was very concerned for their soul and I want to know what what I could do. So he handed me these green scapulas and he said, I want you to hide this throughout their whole house and I want you to pray. And I said, okay, let's see what's gonna happen. So I did, I went and stuck it all under their bookshelves and everything and, and I prayed that they would be converted. Well, a couple of months later, they were doing spring cleaning and they said, Michelle, did you put these in our house? And I looked at them straight in the face, and I said, no. (laughs) And I thought, well, God's never going to answer that prayer. Well, lo and behold, the mom, who was not Catholic, decided she wanted to become a Catholic. Our pastor asked me to help bring her through the catechism, and I am the godmother of their first child. So you would think that that would take care of things, but no. Nope. <laughs> I spent all of high school in youth ministry going on retreats, giving retreats and just loving life. My parents were now leading pilgrimages and had taken a trip to Lourdes, France. On this trip they convinced my mom's distant cousin to join them. He was going through a terrible divorce at the time. Yet he was greatly moved during their trip and later amazed to find out that these people had been praying for him for years. He also had a profound personal experience with the Blessed Mother at Lourdes, resulting in a reconversion of his faith. This cousin was Jim, my husband, and you're going to have to get him to come back and give his testimony for the rest of it. (laughs) I remember him very much. I didn't remember him very much, but everybody was so excited that he was coming for my dad's ordination. And I can remember seeing him go to communion, and something in me was moved. And after my dad's ordination, I told my mom, when I grow up, I want to marry someone just like Jim. Well, this feeling never left me, and as soon as I grew up, I went after him. And (laughs) he didn't stand a chance. (laughs) He fell in love with me and then asked me to marry him, only for me to say is, I can't marry you. You see, I felt overwhelmed by the obstacles. I loved him, but... I knew that my parents would have a very difficult time with our age difference and he still didn't have an annulment and I wanted to have a large family. I don't know if you guys noticed, but there is an age difference. (laughs) (laughs) At at the time, I was attending college in Lafayette, Louisiana while he still lived in Southern California. We were talking on the phone all of the time, but I knew that I would need to move closer for us to see if this was going to work. Jim suggested that we do a nine-week novena. He said that his parents did one before they were married and that the Blessed Mother would show us how to go about this. My mother at this time knew what was going on, but my dad, that was a whole different story. My dad had a temper and I was afraid to tell him. Let's just say that he didn't take things well and, I, and everybody was afraid of him. So I agreed to say the novena And in my anxiety, I never missed a day. One night, I fell asleep in my dorm room and realized that I didn't say my rosary. I woke up and said it and remember falling asleep with the rosary in my hand. The next thing I knew, there was a man with his hand on my mouth and a knife at my throat. And he said, if you scream, I'm going to kill you. Well, somehow... I was able to stay collected and wait until he wasn't expecting it and I was able to grab his hair and scream and throw him off of me and he picked up the knife and he stabbed me and he ran out of the room. I was um, the only one of seven women of the, that got away, I was the only one that got away. He had raped seven women in the area. Oh, yes. uh, I was terrified at that point and didn't know what to do and I needed Jim. So Jim called my dad and told him about us and then a couple of months later came to Louisiana and picked me up, and I moved to California. So it wasn't exactly what I thought the answer of the Novena would be, but my father was so concerned about what had happened to me that the other thing seemed less of of an issue. We decided to wait on the annulment until the annulment was granted before we got married. And this was a a difficult decision, but a huge blessing. It took two years for the process to be completed. We were blessed to be directed by a holy pastor during this time, and were finally married with Jim's two boys, both standing at our wedding. I was 20 years old with two sons whom I loved dearly. I like living in California. I called it anonymous land because, you see, in Southern California, you, you wouldn't think this, but there's so many people that you never see the same person twice, so anybody can do anything they want and never have anything, any accountability. So when you, you have a large age difference in your marriage, it's a good place to be because, you know, it's kind of like, but it also gave us a time to grow in our marriage and to set our family on the right track. Jim was a very successful businessman, and I loved being the first lady of his office. This is where I learned how to plan big events. And I thought, now we can live happily ever after. As a matter of fact, on our wedding night, I told Jim, I will do anything for you. And he said, then help me to love God and his mother more. That wasn't what I expected to hear. <laughs> Guess what? I was jealous of the Blessed Mother. <laughs> I was like, okay, we can do that. So we decided to go to Medjugorje for our honeymoon, where we experience a greater calling to live our faith. We, uh, that trip was an unbelievable trip. Our luggage got lost. We were both freezing. Jim was sick, and... Uh, we, we didn't know what to expect. But one thing that we did experience in Medjugorje that I can tell you is that the people there were hungry for their faith. They were going to mass every day. They were saying all it was at the time 15 decades of the rosary. Uh, they were they were praying in church constantly. And so it made us look and say, what about our faith? And so we decided to consecrate our family to the Blessed Mother. And we actually went into the church and did the whole formal consecration. Um, We planned to, uh, after Jim would retire, we planned to buy a sailboat and sail around the world, you know. And uh, we would spend every weekend going to boat shows and uh, seeing boats, and we had three children at the time, and one day, Jim went to a Catholic Answers um, meeting at our parish, and he, he was just blown away, because we lived in an affluent area, and the church was filled with people who had questions, but the questions were like, as Jim likes to say, he thought it would be like philosophical questions about Thomas Aquinas, but it was like they were asking, what's one plus one in the faith? They didn't know their faith at all, and he couldn't believe that these Catholics, who are lawyers and doctors and professionals, and when it came to their faith, they knew nothing. And so he came home and he said, I feel that God is calling me to study the faith and to teach teach the faith to people. I was like, you're kidding me. (laughs) I was the deacon's daughter my whole life. I grew up in ministry my whole life, and the last thing that I wanted to do was I did not want to be in ministry. I was very happy where we were. We had, um, we had, I'll back up a little bit, our first pregnancy, I, I got pregnant right before our trip to Medjugorje, and Jim wanted to name our baby Mary, and I didn't want to name her Mary, so I said, well, why don't we name her after your mother? So. We named her Audrey Marie. Then I got pregnant again. Jim wanted to name her Mary. And I said, why do we name her after my mother? <laughs> so we named Teresa after my mom, which was one of her names. Then our next child was a boy and I had an emergency C-section. And I, it was such a traumatic birth because I had gone, my water broke on time, I had gone through um, labor, Perfectly, And at that time, believe it or not, in Southern California, they wouldn't let you have an epidural. So everything had to be natural. They didn't even give you the choice. Um, A fun story was one time we went into the hospital early, and you could hear moaning down the hall. And and I said, listen to that. And Jim goes, yes, it's the baby. I said, that is not a baby. (laughs) (laughs) So I was going through labor for Robert. Everything was fine. And then all of a sudden they told me to turn and the heart rate dropped. They kicked Jim out of the room. They started sending me down to the, uh, the operating room. And before they even started anesthesia, I could feel the knife on my stomach. And I just told the doctor, you just wait. Yeah. So Robert, Robert was born. And uh, I thought, okay, we have five children. That's enough. We don't need any more. I was so traumatized. Well, we had been going to these Catholic family conferences, Jim was studying, and I was struggling. And then um, Jim came home one day, and I said, you get to go to work every day, and you get to dress up, and you're paid for what you do. I'm here with all of these kids struggling, and nobody sees what I do, and everything I do to do is undone in about ten minutes. And Jim said, when I die and go before the judgment seat of God, he would not ask me about my degrees or how much money I made. You have the opportunity to form souls. You can go before him and say, here are my children that you entrusted to me. We are populating heaven. Then I listened to a talk by Kimberly Hahn, and in it, Kimberly talked about motherhood, and confirmed all that Jim had told me. She said that children are like uh, arrows in your quiver. When you go to war, she asked, do you want to have one arrow, or would you rather have your quiver full? She said that she was changing the world, one diaper at a time. (laughs) So together, Jim and Kimberly gave the role of motherhood meaning for me. So also, um, as I was homeschooling, I recognized Catholic homeschooling was a little bit behind Protestant homeschooling. So in California, we had we joined a non-Catholic group, so it was Christian. But I quickly realized that there were a lot of Catholics in that group that were being drawn out of the faith. So my little you know Catholic self said, "Well, I'm going to have I'm going to invite the Catholics over to my house, and we're going to give each other support just to keep everybody together." Well, one of the ladies that came to the house, she had uh, her children matched up perfectly with mine, and I started talking to her about the faith, and she says, I don't know my faith, and I can't afford all these books. She says, do you think that your husband could teach me the faith? I said, well, I don't know, I could ask him. And so I asked Jim, I told him about it. He says, well, he says, maybe we can start a Bible study. And he says, but the only night that I can do it is on Monday night. Because he was still working full time at the time. So she says, oh, that's not going to work. My husband has played tennis with his partner every night for 15 years since we've been married. And I don't think he'll come on Monday. And, and, the, and the couple at the same time was struggling in their marriage as well. And they had uh, someone in their neighborhood um, who was, you know, trying to get them to come over to their church. So they were really on the fence. So anyway, I offered them Monday night. She went home and talked to her husband, and they called us up, and they said her husband was going to give up his tennis night, and they were going to start the Bible study. So we started the Bible study at our home, arranged for um, the babysitting. I also became pregnant again, and Jim said, if it's a girl, what do you want to name her? And I said, how about Mary? (laughs) And he said, we don't have one of those yet. (laughs) So together, Jim and I continued to grow. Um, We started, uh, there was a 24-hour adoration chapel that opened in our parish. The Catechism of the Catholic Church came out, which answered a lot of questions for a lot of people and was helping. And um, we continued with this Bible study. As the Bible study finished our house was already on the market because Jim had decided that he thought that he should be called back to ministry he said um, he, he wanted to give up the the sailing around the world idea and he wanted to teach Catholics their faith and he said this is what he told me the people paid for my education and I want to give back because Jim is um, a laicized priest And he was one of those people that got lost in that confusion in the 60s. And with his reconversion and coming back, he felt God calling him to teach Catholics their faith. Now, I didn't want to come back home because I was struggling with my father. You see, my father was a deacon, but I had a huge father wound because I had learned my faith from my parents. And my father left my mom because he was unfaithful to her. And I didn't know how to deal with that, so I didn't want to come home and deal with it. But this couple, they found out that we were moving back to Louisiana to start a, min- a ministry to teach Catholics their faith. So they called us up and they said, We want to come with you. They had never been to Louisiana, they had their four children. And so the husband talked to Jim and they decided they were coming with us. So their house sold before ours. They moved in with us, (laughs) and we were preparing to move back. Also, I was um, pregnant again for child number five, and we, our plan was that we were going to move home after Jim retired and then start the ministry. But Jim went to the doctor in December, and we were going to move. He was retiring in January, and he just happened to ask the doctor to give him an extra physical. Well, then we got that phone call where we need him to come back again. His white blood count is extraordinary high. So I think normal was like 4,000. Jim's white blood count was at 50,000. So he was diagnosed with lymphocytic leukemia. So I think the devil was trying to break me because I was falling apart at that point. And I thought, there's no way this is all happening to us. Claire was born. I just wanted to say stop, but everything was in motion. We moved to Louisiana in May and the children were passing viruses. This was, you know, on the move. They're passing viruses around, and I can remember cleaning up throw up in the back of a 15-passenger van outside of Carlsbad Canyon on our drive to Louisiana and crying. We arrived and moved into my mother-in-law's small, three-bedroom home. While most of my things were in storage, the day after we unloaded, it began to rain. It was called the 100-year flood. The rain was just a sign of what I was feeling. Soon after, Jim was speaking at the Holy Spirit Novena in Mandeville. He announced after his talk that we would be starting a Bible study. Now, I'm in the back of the church with Monsignor Joe Shoten, and I said, I can't believe he just said that. We don't even have a house. Where is he going to have a Bible study? And Father Joe responded, well, he can have it here. And so Totus us Ministries began. Jim received calls from people looking for a Catholic Bible study, and the church gave him our number. We began a study, and I was still trying to stop everything. But the devil knew that I was the weak link. And during this year, I had had a baby. My husband retired. I found out that he was ill. I moved in with my 80-year-old mother-in-law, who fell and broke her hip that year. We built a house. I had come home, and it was dealing with personal, personal issues with my father. All the while, I was supposed to be educating my children with this extra family who wanted to be a part of our ministry. My children still refer to that year as the year from hell. And I believe God sent that couple to support us because they knew Jim needed the extra help because I would have probably talked him out of everything. One night we were scheduled to go to Picayune, Mississippi for a mission, and I just let Jim have it. And I said, I'm having a difficult time with your ministry. And he said, it shows. <laughs> I said, we are spending another weekend for ten people for in the middle of nowhere. But when we arrived at that parish, it was filled with people and they were so hungry for answers. He would give a talk and then answer questions continuously. And I realized finally that I was being selfish and that this was truly God's will. Also at this time, the West St. Tammany chapter of Magnificat asked Jim to be the tape chairperson for their team. And I told him, I'll be darned if you're going to go to breakfast with a bunch of women while I stay home. So I started going to Magnificat breakfasts then, and then, I just have to say this, honey, they asked him if he could tape the international conference. Now, I love my husband. He's the teacher. I shouldn't even be up here. But when it comes to mechanical things, that is not his thing. And the idea that we would be taping an international conference, I looked at him like he was crazy. But. He said yes, and that's how we met the central service team, and we began doing their, uh, their taping. And that's where we met Father Kevin Scallon. Uh, Father Kevin anointed Jim and had Sister Breeze pray over him. And after that, his leukemia has almost gone into remission, and another blessing that has happened for our family. Um, I I was, as I told you earlier, I was really struggling with my father and then he ended up still being a deacon and he married the woman that he was involved with and we were just crushed. And we were having such a hard time with forgiveness. And so my mom and my three sisters, we all went to the CCRNO women's retreat and father, Cohen was there, every talk was on forgiveness, 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 and we couldn't believe it. So finally, at the end of the retreat, which that retreat is always in January, at the end of that retreat, we got together in a circle, and uh, we agreed to forgive my father. So the, it was the end of January the retreat ended, and on February 4th, my dad died of an aneurysm. And, and, my mom and my dad were married for 36 years, and she stood faithfully with him through two heart transplants. And at the funeral, um, we were all standing, and all I kept thinking of is none of these people even know who this other person is. And she had their wedding picture on the coffin. And I'll never forget as my mom stood with all of us at his coffin and he said, and she said, "Children," she said forgiveness is the only way and she taught us how to forgive him through that and i i just have to say that it was uh, bishop hughes was the bishop it was in baton rouge and after he had he called my mom and wanted to have the family over and did a special uh dinner he catered himself and talked to us about how he tried to get my dad help but I tell you this because of what we go, we're going through in the church and how we have so many feelings. Forgiveness is the only way. And now I can say the rosary over my dad's grave because my mom taught me how to forgive. And I pray and I pray and I pray that he has the graces from serving as a deacon and that he is in heaven And that one day I'll see him there. But when when people fall, we have to amp it up in prayer. We have to amp it up in prayer. So anyway, I'm just going to go back to this now. (laughs) Um, Two years later, my father died. And um, a lot of healing took place in my heart. And I was also blessed to be expecting another blessing, our fifth daughter. This time, my water broke in the middle of one of Jim's classes. But I want you to know I waited to the end of the class, and we had Sarah Elizabeth. I have to mention Sarah because when I first gave my testimony, she was upset that she didn't get mentioned. So five years later, our final child came, Grace Michelle, and she was a true gift of God. Our years together, homeschooling and living with Nana, my mother-in-law who lived with us for 17 years and my own mother were special. Nana taught me how to pray as well. She, um, her husband was a deacon and she was so upset when he died because he helped so many people and she would tell Jim, I don't know why God took him before me. He helped so many people, what can I do? Well, Jim told her, mother, you can pray that's the most important thing to do so she took this to heart and she got a little notebook and she started writing down prayer intentions so people would call her and she'd write their prayer intentions in her book and every morning she would sit there and go through the book and pray for them and I just want to tell you one story of a fruit of that she woke up one morning and she didn't she didn't dream and she said I had a dream last night she said I was in St. Joseph's Church And they were having this big welcome home party for this priest that she knew. I'm not going to mention his name. But she had been praying for him for years. And she said she was sitting in the pew of this big welcome party. And he comes right to her. And he says, Audrey, thank you for helping me to get home. And she says, what do you mean? I didn't help you to get home. And he said, yes, you did. You've been praying for me. So I'm like, this is a priest that died 30 years ago? We just all better be praying for people. So if you get anything from today, make your prayer list. Pray for your deceased loved ones. Keep praying. Homeschooling. With, Nana lived with us for 20, 20 years. She died, ended up dying at 98. Um, so you can imagine the blessings that we had raising our children in this environment. And I was able to teach all of the children how to read, write, and most of all, I was able to teach them their faith. I learned my faith and am always trying to find a way to live it better. You see, I knew that we're all supposed to be saints and that God gives us the grace for this. Where my thinking went wrong was that I thought that if someone knew God and loved him, then they shouldn't mess up. They should live happily ever after. Isn't that what the world says? Once you get it, you've made it, you've done it, you're there. Well, that's not how it works. Jim used to tell me that his spiritual advisor would tell him, do you expect to become a saint in a couple of years and coast in on your laurels for the rest of your life? Well, that isn't the way God works. Um, The children have now grown up and they've started going to college. And that's when our pastor, Father Bill McGuff, asked me to be on the team for St. Peter Parish as the young adult minister. And I'm telling you this because another time it showed me how God works. They wanted to start Theology on Tap. And so they said that we needed to have Theology on Tap in a bar. Well, I can remember going to Father Bill and I said, Father, they said we need to go to a bar. Where should we go? He goes, I don't know. I don't go to bars. I said, well, I don't go to bars. <laughs> well, one of, uh, one of my young adults... Um, he worked at the brewery and he says why don't we have theology on tap at the brewery I'm like well that's a great idea how cool would that be I said well what do we need to do to get that we had no budget and he says well you just need to go to the owner and ask him I said okay so I had the owner's name and I knew I had to ask him so I'm like all right God this is for you this isn't for me Well, at the same time, I was delivering meals to women who had just had babies, and someone was bringing a meal to me. And right after I said that prayer, the phone rang. And the woman on the other end, she had the same last name as the owner of the brewery. (laughs) And I said, are you any related? She goes, oh, yes, he would love to help you. He went to Lourdes, and he said, and I was like, you know, God, that was really fast. (laughs) So the young adult ministry was going well, and then I ran into Marilyn Quirk at a diocesan event, and she said to me, Michelle, I've been praying, and I believe that God's going to call you to be more involved in Magnificat. And I said to her, no, Marilyn. I'm doing theology on tap. (laughs) Well, remember, man proposes, God disposes. So I was asked to be uh, to work for Magnificat as their office manager with Cindy and their event planner. I knew that I needed to make a change from youth ministry because it was always nights and weekends and now I I, the kids were needing me more at home um, so I felt that the change warranted and I'm so blessed to have worked with these women. Um, I can't tell you The central service team has taught me so much, and I I know that we don't see how they work, but they they do it all for free, just like you see these ladies, and they give so much of their time, and this is a world thing. So multiply this over 80 80 chapters around the world, and it's just a beautiful thing, and it's a great ministry, and um, if you feel called to help with it, we could always use the hands to try to recreate that Mary Elizabeth moment, because that's what Magnific- Magnificat is about, and it's a beautiful, um, it's a beautiful ministry. God kept working with us in, in the ministry, and I still I still was struggling. Um, Jim, Jim, when we were going to our daughter's graduation in Nashville, and Jim got really sick. And he started throwing up, and I woke up, and we ended up at Vanderbilt, and they said, you got to get him to the hospital right away. They said, he needs uh, attention. And so we, we drove back home. We get to St. Tammany. We find out that his spleen was enlarged like ten times the size that it was supposed to be, and he had to have an emergency surgery at Christmas time. And so, of course, I'm, I'm a nervous wreck, and uh, he calls me up, and he says, sweetheart, I was saying my rosary, and the nurse began to ask me about the Catholic faith. And she says, she and her son are interested. When you come for the surgery, can you bring one of my books? I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. We have to do ministry now? Anyway, I brought the book, and lo and behold, the nurse and her son came into the Catholic church that Easter. So I was like, okay, the price... The Price of a Spleen, right? (laughs) And I'll tell you, uh, Diane said I was going to talk about the book. We brought some of those books, but Jim wrote a book. It's called The Fullness of Truth, and it's a wonderful tool because it basically breaks down all of the issues that people have about the Catholic Church. Why do we pray to saints? Why do we go to confession, baptism, Holy Eucharist? But the nice thing about the book is is that there's a page that you could copy and give to anyone and it says, what, why, and wow. And it just really, so someone asks you, well, why do you Catholics do that? And you don't know the answer? You copy that, you hand it to them, and then if they have more questions, you can follow up. So we're always trying to uh, pass that on because we've seen so many people just become empowered with the faith just by learning it. So at the last Magnificat Conference, they gave the cst gave out father hamps cd gifts and fruits of the holy spirit after the conference i listened to it and it was eye-opening father Hamps explains the gifts better than i had ever heard them before he talks about the difference between sanctifying gifts that we receive from baptism and confirmation for our personal holiness and the charismatic gifts which are used for building up the church he goes into detail about the gifts of tongues, and also says that there are 125 gifts in all. He says that everyone has gifts, but they often don't know what they are or how to use them. He also said that the charismatic gifts are to be used for others. St. Paul even says that he wanted to teach about the gifts before before he died so that they could be used for the church, not for ourselves. So on August 8th, the feast of St. Dominic, I woke up and I read my prayers. And what struck me was the reading where Jesus says, Who do you say that I am? And then Peter says, You are the Messiah. Yay, Peter. Jesus then gives Peter the keys of the, the kingdom. But in the very next verse, Peter tries to stop Jesus from going into Jerusalem and says to Peter, and Jesus says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Now, I told you about my father, this this was always a stumbling block for me. So I'm like, this is unbelievable. Here's Peter getting the keys to the kingdom, and now it's get behind me, Satan. So all day I kept thinking about it. So then I went to Mass in the afternoon, and I heard the second reading. And it was about, I mean, the first reading, because St. Peter was the second reading. And it was talking about Moses. And it says, the people in the desert are grumbling because they have no water. So Moses and Aaron dutifully go and they pray in the tent. That's, that was their adoration chapel. And then God tells them exactly what to do. But before Moses follows God, God's command at God's people, he says, Listen to me, you rebels. Are we to bring water from this rock? Now, I always thought that God didn't let him into the promised land because he struck the rock twice. But this is what God said to Moses and Aaron. Because you were not faithful to me in showing forth my sanctity before the children of Israel, you shall not lead this community into the land that I will give them. Ladies, that was it. My stumbling block was gone. This was Moses. This was Peter that we were talking about. Moses parted the Red Sea, received the commandments, spoke with God himself. Peter walked with Christ and witnessed all the miracles. If these two men of God failed after all of these graces, then we should not be surprised if if we might have the same failings. This goes for everyone. People in ministry fail when they are not showing forth the sanctity of God, when they are relying on themselves. It's got to be God, and this can be anyone. It's important to note that I did also have... Have a lot of good examples. I talked to you about my father, but the number of examples that I had in my life from faithful priests, priests that taught me so well, faithful sisters, my mother, my family, my grandmother, my in-laws. So, you know, we we put these people up on pedestals, and we expect them to be perfect, but we forget to pray for them. We forget to be there for them. There, there's we all are on the journey together. We are all called forth to show the sanctity of God to his people. He is calling all of us to say yes, to use the gifts, particularly the charismatic gifts that he has given us to build the church. As a matter of fact, we are commissioned to do this through our baptism. This is why I'm standing before you today, because I don't like public speaking, but this is real, and we've got to get the word out, and we've got to get reignited. Don't stay at a grammar school level in your faith. Get to know God personally. God wants to have a personal relationship with you and introduce you to his beautiful mother. He wants you to help others to do the same, and he loves you immeasurably. This year, as in the bio, I completed homeschooling. 28 years, I never thought I'd ever complete it, and I can say that Father Bill helped me get through it. If it wasn't for the sacrament of confession, I may have killed those children. <laughs> but it was through the sacrament of confession. It was through mass. It was through prayers. Through the support of a a holy mother and a loving husband that we got through. And I have to, do, you know, our, our second to last daughter's about to get married and she went to marriage prep last night and I was just glowing today because she said to me, She said, you and dad prepared us really well. I was like, yes! I was like, yay! And then our youngest, who just went away to college, she just finished her first semester, but her first break home, she crawled in bed with me, and she said, Mom, thank you for homeschooling me. And I was like, now the others didn't say that, but at least the last one did. (laughs) And she said, you allowed me to be a child. And she says, and you prepared me, so... We now we have nine children. We have nine living grandchildren. We have now two more on the way. God has blessed us, and He has stuck by us, and He continues to show us His everlasting love. And thank you for hearing my story. Why?
0: You can also email us at MagnificatCST at AOL.com or call 504-828-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Until the next time, may God bless you.